Thank you, Jordan. Uh, thank you, Mark, Milton. Lord, what a, what a privilege it is to, uh, to be with you this morning. You know, uh, when Jeff uh, asked me to preach on community, uh, if anybody knows me, they know that community is a big deal. So I really appreciate this opportunity. Actually, it's kind of overwhelming to me because it is something that is so significant. Uh, yet, uh, you know, it's a big deal. But yet, it's not to be preeminent above Christ. We are certainly not to worship community. But it is one of the ways that we are to enjoy Christ and to tangibly demonstrate his preeminence. Our community will lead us to his greater glory and to our greater good. So as we begin this morning, I want to I want to start off with, this, with a question. Are you walking in community? Hopefully after our time this morning, you'll be better able to answer that question. But if there is a sense of community in your life, how would you rate it? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being feeling where you're feeling disconnected and alone, and 10 being highly connected and relationally strong, uh, where would you say that you are? What would it be? What should it be? I don't know if any of us would say that we're at a 10, but it's my prayer that after our time this morning, we'd be able to be, we'd be stirred to a higher commitment to walk in strong biblical community. As we begin, would you just pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, we ask you, give us ears to hear. Oh, Lord, I especially ask that for me. God, may your voice be very, very clear. Lord, would you serve us this morning? Lord, would you help me as your servant? Lord, would you take this time and cause it to be profitable and beneficial for your name's sake? Thank you, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. Although this will not be the main passage this morning uh, from which I want to speak, it would be irresponsible of me to talk about community uh, and not to reference Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, as, uh, as most of you know, uh, that's where the account of creation begins. And in Genesis 1, we get the big picture of what's happening. God in His creative work day after day is doing different things. And that each time a day passes, he said, and it was good. It was good. It was good. Over and over again, he says, it's good. But yet, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, when we get more detail on the account of, the, of man and, and so on, he's, he finally makes the first statement to say what? It's not good. Genesis 2 verse 18, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And what was it? Uh, uh, he says, I'll make him a helper fit or suitable for him. Now, when you stop to think about that, um, think about the circumstances when God made that pronouncement that it was not good. I mean, uh, this is at a time when there was no barrier or confusion, no sense of insecurity in his relationship with God. And, and the man was living there in the Garden of Eden in the best of circumstances. This is before the curse of the thorns and the thistles in chapter 3. He's living in perfect harmony with God and with creation. His conscience was blameless. 
So what more could he ask for? Apparently, even though he didn't know he needed to ask for it, God knew that there was indeed more that he needed. In fact, when he made the statement that it was not good for man to be alone, uh, it's like he's begin, he begins to set the stage to make him aware of the significance of what he was about to do. What did he do next? He didn't immediately create the woman. What did he do in verse 19? He began to bring the animals to him. And so here he is. What is, what is he going to then begin to notice whenever he sees the animals? You know, when the, when the cow comes up, he's going to see the, 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 the cow and the bull. When the horses came, there was the stallion and the mare. And on and on, what he saw was companionship. And there's a sense in which God was trying to help him and make him aware of the fact that he was alone. That there was something more that he needed. It's like he was, he was setting the stage so that whenever he did end up bringing the woman there, that uh, he would be fully ready and excited and uh, about receiving her. <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, and, and, and so in the midst of that, in seeing that lack of companionship within himself, uh, he, may ha- he may have even had a sense of loss. But yet, you know, in, in that, he wasn't insecure about it. He just made aware. He had a need that God wanted to make sure that he was in touch with, and it was a need that was actually good. God wasn't implying that the man's relationship with him was inadequate or insufficient. Uh, He wanted the man to understand and more fully enjoy the reality of what it meant to be made in his image. After all, the triune God is a relational God. A relational being who in fact lives and exists in perfect relational community. And by our existing in relational community from one person to the next... We can better understand uh, who he is and can love him all the more. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? That God brought the woman there. And really, I don't want to overemphasize the fact that it was a male and female. Really, it was more human to human so that that as a result of that uh, triune type relationship between God and man and God and the woman and, and then the relationship from you know between man to woman or, or human to human, there was ended up being a reflection of the very Trinity and of God Himself, so that we might better understand and appreciate who He is and could know Him better and could love Him even all the more. Uh, you know, it's it's just amazing to stop and think about it. Uh, you know, in fact, once we understand the, 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 the substance of that, it, it helps us to better understand the question of uh, whenever Jesus, the answer to the question when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? But he said, uh, to love uh, to Lord, the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, our, the way we love one another is a reflection. It can, it can communicate our love for him. Or... Uh, you know, it's also whenever he said that uh, there was a new commandment that he had given to us, that we would love one another, uh, even as Christ loved us, that we might love one another. What does he say? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we walk in community, if we walk in love, if we walk in the kind of relationships 
uh, that God intends that are a reflection of him, indeed, it will bring honor and glory to him. Obviously, in Genesis chapter 3, the community was broken. After sin entered the picture, our relationship with God was broken. We see that by the man and the woman hiding and covering themselves. Uh, and, and, uh, and then right off the bat, the man, the, the relationship between the man and the woman was broken. The man right off the bat begins to blame the woman for their circumstances and the difficulties in their relationships began and they continue even to this day. But praise God that he has done everything needed to restore uh, and remedy our need and capacity for relationship. So before we get into this passage and reflect on this Genesis account, I wanted to, to uh, say it's important to recognize several things here. One, God is the only properly functioning community in the universe and is the model for human community. In Him, there is perfect love, submission, humility, cooperation, asking, giving, and honor. These are all qualities that we need in relationship. And if we didn't have one another, we couldn't understand and appreciate what's happening even in the Godhead. Relational, two, relational community is God's idea and design. And to minimize it is to deny our humanity. Regardless of our personality type, even if we consider ourselves to be an introvert, to minimize relationship or uh, people, uh, we are each made for relationship nonetheless, and are, uh, you know, and that's, who, that's a part of our humanity. And thirdly, walking in godly biblical community is one of the chief means of our witness of him to the world. He created us so that we might be that reflection. It gives a better picture of what it means to be in the image of God. So if community is so important, then how can it be fostered? To help answer that, I want us to turn to the early church and to see what insights we might glean from there. Let us turn to Acts chapter 2, as this will be our focus this morning. Uh, we'll begin reading at verse uh, 42, but I want to make sure we notice the context. I mean, this takes place soon after Pentecost uh, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter has just uh, finished preaching a rather simple sermon, and yet 3,000 people responded and were saved. And so uh, uh, what does it say there in verse uh, 32 that they did in response, in verse 42 as they did in response? And they, meaning the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the number day by day those uh, were being saved, who were being saved. So where do we get the idea that there's community happening here? Uh, what, what word sort of captures that? Well, I'd say look at verse 44. It says there what? 
that they were what? Together. Uh, if there's no together, there is no community. Community cannot happen until and unless our lives intersect with one another. If you or I feel like our sense of community is waning, the first question we need to ask, am I getting together uh, with others in the local body of Christ to which I've committed myself? Do I have enough connection points with others to give God a chance to make community happen and to fulfill His purposes? If I only see others on Sundays and never at other times, I'd be kidding myself to think that my sense of community uh, should be better. Are we intentional to make that happen? You know, I, I was uh, in, when I was asking myself that very question. I, I just I want to thank God for my wife and how she has been faithfully. One of the things that we do is on a on a on a Sunday evening is we begin to think through our weeks and we we try to schedule a plan so that we can purpose and be intentional about having connecting points. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly come to church on Sunday mornings. We, we typically want to be uh, blocking out at least one night so that there's this regular interaction that takes place from a community group. And then we will purpose to say, okay, certainly we need time for our, you know, for our own relationship, but then we will seek out or think about who is it then that we can try to connect with and interact so that we might be able to connect and, and do life together. Uh, because really, that's, that's what community is in its simplest form. It's just doing life together. Uh, so are we connecting? Are we being intentional about connecting? So if we are intentional to walk in such a way so that our lives connect, what should it look like then? What are the ingredients that are there that need uh, for community to flourish? Um, well, you know... Uh, I think this passage certainly gives us some insight. In fact, as I looked at this, I identified at least four elements or four ingredients that would do just that. The first ingredient is this, a commitment to the corporate gathering. Now, you know, we need to be here on Sunday mornings. Now, uh, that's not all we need to do, but it's certainly where we need to start. We don't recognize the need for us to gather as the church, as the local representation of the body of Christ, then community will almost be impossible. And why do I say that there was the corporate gathering here? If you look at it, uh, if you look there uh, in those verses, like look at verse 42, you'll see that there is the article, the used. That's not some kind of an accident or a typo. It's something that's clearly in the Greek. He says, the apostles' teaching, the prayers, uh, you know, all the different elements there where uh, he's referencing, um, you know, the breaking of bread. That idea and the use of that article uh, really communicates that there was, there, it was part of some kind of a formality, that there, that which, which would be typical of a worship service. In fact, whenever you see the, the, uh, the individual elements that are communicated here, it really is a, much like what, what worship is all about and our corporate gathering, what it actually looks like. Uh, first of all, there was the, uh, you know, a, a, a commitment, and devotion to the apostles' teaching. You know, they, even at that point in time, they were focused on the revealed truth of God. 
And even if they didn't realize it, whenever the apostles were speaking and teaching, they were actually communicating the very word of God itself, to which we end up referencing today. There was the, uh, uh, you know, the breaking of bread and the prayers. They, you know, there was the observing and the celebrating of the ordinances. That, in essence, was referring to communion. Just before that, in verse 41, there had been the baptizing that had taken place of the 3,000 people. There was this corporate recognition that they needed to gather and, and uh, not forsake their assembling together as could easily become the habit. Uh, and they, you know, they had the prayers. And incidentally, you know, prayers in the Scripture oftentimes had more to do with praise rather than making requests. So the element of worship and praise, you know, was certainly a part of that. So they were committed there to be gathering together corporately. Um, so as a result then, uh, you know, what kind of a commitment are we making to ourselves, to, to, uh, to the corporate body? Uh, you know, as, as I was thinking about this, uh, it, it also struck me that um, how in, uh, in, in the life of our family, uh, there were probably two things that came up that really made us aware of how our, our commitment to, to corporate uh, gathering was really going to end up being in question. <laughs> The first thing we had to do when our kids got old enough, and they get they were ended up doing well enough to be in sports, where we uh, they reached these traveling teams, and it's all you know it began to tug on us to facilitate that opportunity for them to go and and just enjoy that experience. Yet, as I began to recognize the need for the importance of of uh, the corporate gathering, just can I realize, wow, you know, we need to say, hey, this is really not our priority. Being with God's people, being at church, that was what his, you know, what was important to us. And secondly, we also realized that even if we did gather that morning, you know, if we noticed that our kids were tired or we were drowsy or, or even ourselves or, you know, if we, were, we, we didn't have the energy that we needed, we realized, wow, in order to be committed to, to the corporate gathering, you know, when it, you know what? It actually starts on a Saturday night, not on what happens on Sunday mornings. And so, um, you know, if, if we want uh, community to flourish and be fostered, we need to be meeting together. And it's, it's, uh, it's a shame to, to think about it, but in, uh, in this day and time, in, in, the, in the, 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 the reality of virtual relationships and things like that, I, I fear that we can, you know, easily miss the mark and then ultimately have our, our community and our connectedness end up being lost in the process. Uh, <clears throat> let me just say this. Uh, you know, even as, uh, whenever you think about it too, there was this sense of awe that was taking place. Uh, you know, and, 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 and as they were gathering, what was it that, that facilitated it at all? It was being aware that they were in the presence of God, giving him liberty, liberty to do what he pleases and expecting him to do what he can and will do. Uh, they had to experience awe. Uh, they had, uh, or fear, at the gathering described at Pentecost in the first part of Acts 2, so, and it was something that actually ended up uh, continuing there as they, as they met. <clears throat> 
Now, let me just also say that um, uh, in reality, I do think that this points to the corporate gathering. You know, but at the same time, I think the corporate gathering can be a model and give us the elements of what ought to be happening in the informal times that we meet, even when it's one-on-one. You know, it should be, uh, you know, not out of the norm so that the, the Word of Christ would richly be dwelling in us, so that in our conversation, in our gathering, there is, there is the undeniable and undoubted communication of the Word of God. They ought to be praying. We ought not to just be talking about prayer or the importance of prayer. We need to be praying. It ought to be something that also influences us. And one last thing, I want to communicate about the idea of, of, uh, of commitment, and that's where they use this word fellowship. You know, interestingly, uh, that word is the Greek word koinonia. It talks about, uh, you know, participation. Really, it has the idea of partnership. Uh, you know, we, whenever you begin to realize there was not this consumer mentality that they had in approaching the corporate gathering, there was a buy-in. They weren't just passive investors. They had a vested and undeniable commitment and interest that they were exhibiting. And so as a result, it, you know, they owned it. You know, with a passive investor, if you're investing, you may end up losing, you know, what you put up. You know, we may end up losing, uh, you know, the sense of time maybe if we invest on a Sunday morning. But with a, with a, in a partnership, especially as a general partner, you know, if something goes wrong, not only can you lose what you've got, but it'll cost you in other ways. And yet they recognize that, and there was this undeniable, uh, you know, type of commitment and partnership that they exhibited in the way that they related to one another. So that's the first ingredient the commitment to the corporate gatherings. But the second commitment then is what? Look at verse 45. A willingness to be vulnerable and generous. Uh, they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Listen, we all have needs. To deny that is to deny our humanity. Sometimes our needs are more pronounced than at other times. Sometimes we don't see our needs. Most of the time we do, but are we willing to admit them and to express them uh, to others? How else could they have known what to do or how to care for one another if there wasn't some kind of vulnerability? So when I was thinking about this, you know, it, it hit me that you know, vulnerability is a choice. It's an act of faith. We need to take the risks and choose to open up. In fact, it's more important than our possessions. They knew that, and that's why they were so quick to part with their things. Uh, you know, as, as I was thinking about this openness and this kind of vulnerability that they uh, experienced and were uh, willing to take the risk about, I was thinking about what happened in, with uh, Adam and Eve. And after sin entered the picture, what did they do? They, they sort of covered themselves. And that's really what we end up trying to do with our possessions, we can sort of cover ourselves or hide behind them so that, you know, our needs and who we really are and our hurts and so on may be visible and evident to someone else. And yet the, 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 that evidence and that openness is that someone else is who God oftentimes wants to use to meet us and to help us indeed in that place of need. 
And so, uh, you know, there, were, there was this, there was clearly, this was the willingness on their part to sell their physical possessions. But sometimes I think God wants us to be giving up other types of possessions, things that are not so physical, things like our reputation and, uh, you know, other, you know, our status and some of those kinds of things. And uh, really, any of those kind of things can get in the way of us uh, walking the kind of vulnerability and openness that will foster a sense of relational community and connectedness. Now, if being vulnerable and generous is difficult, then let's look at the third element to see how it might help us. Look at verse 46. Not only were they going to the temple and having the corporate gathering, but they were what? Day by day breaking bread in their homes. What's the third element? They were committed to hospitality. You know, when we are, when we are hospitable, it sort of forces a sense of transparency uh, that we really need, that really something that can be of help to us. Uh, when we invite people into our space, they get a fuller view of who we are. Intimacy and relationship is a twofold thing. It not only involves us knowing others more fully, it involves us being known by others. And one of the best ways for others to begin to get to know us better is whenever we have them in our home, whenever they come and see us in our personal space, in our home environment. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the Jews had a tremendous custom of hospitality during uh, their major feasts, like the Passover or what was happening then at Pentecost. Visitors were received into private homes, and no one could charge for giving a bed or a room to a visitor or for supplying their basic needs. The Christians took their tremendous feast time hospitality and made it an everyday thing. Hospitality might be a gift for some, but remember this, it's a command to all. No one should consider themselves exempt. Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality even to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Uh, I just want to say this about hospitality. If I were to, to look back and think about different things that uh, characterize our family, one of the most beneficial and profitable things that we did was to be hospita hospitable. Um, you know, it, it really was used in, in, in a great way in the training and raising of our kids. Through hospitality, they learned about self-serving. You know, whenever it came time for people to come over and us getting the house ready, Jessica had the kids, you know, lined out with uh, cards that kind of spelled out what their tasks were. And they, you know, they were, they learned about work and they learned about uh, committing, commitment and giving. Uh, you know, through hospitality, you know, they learned about suffering. Uh, they, and, you know, but in the midst of it, it also made it to where it was not just mom and dad having people over. It was something that we did. It gave them a sense of usefulness and purpose. It sort of, it sort of, it sort of solidified the fact that they had a place and a role and that God would want to use them and bless them. Through that, they understood, they learned about what it meant to, um, you know, to organize a meeting, uh, 
you know, we, helped, we would try to help them to think through what might be happening if they had some of their friends over, trying to guide them, to help them to understand how to, how to build relationships and how to make use of the time. And then in the evening, you know, afterwards, oftentimes we'd end up having a time where we would uh, uh, close the evening with a time of sharing and prayer. And I was amazed as to how often friends would comment about how that was often the most meaningful part of uh, the time together. Not just from the things that we were doing or sharing as adults, but from the kids. Uh, there's, real, there's something special about hearing the simplest and sin sincere prayer of kids as we encouraged and not only encouraged them, we expected them to enter in and to pray on behalf of others. And it was their prayers that really, uh, you know, was used in a powerful way. And God used that hospitality to foster community, to foster relationships. And then finally... <laughs> As we look at verse 47, for the last ingredient, what was it? Their community was marked by being outreaching. Uh, when we get our community right within the church, it can't help but impact the community outside the church. They were open to others, and they had a strong desire to be inclusive. How else could it be said that they were able to have favor with all the people, as you read what it says there? They, you know, they, uh, they were giving and unselfish, and they were welcoming. And indeed, that brought favor. Uh, and as a result, what the Lord added to the number day by day, those who were being saved. So let me ask you this in, in closing. Where are you on that sense of community scale? Are you connected? Or do you feel alone? If so, that's not good. We need to recognize that God experienced the aloneness on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to continue in it. We have no idea of the level of pain that, was, that happened and, uh, when Jesus cried out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was this, the, in, in the beautiful, uh, harmonious, sense of community that existed in the Godhead, at that moment in time, God considered it worth it for that to be broken and for there to be a pain experienced that, that we can't even begin to fathom. And he did it. Why? So that our community with one another and with him would not, would not be disturbed. <clears throat> he didn't hold back anything. Not even his own son, but deliver him up for us all in order to facilitate it. Our connectedness and community won't change unless and until we are willing to change. May the quality of our connectedness with one another cause us to walk in a sense of awe as we consider how special it is to be connected to God and all that he has done to facilitate it. Thank you for letting me share this morning. Let me close with a word of prayer. <clears throat> God, we praise you and thank you that um, you were willing to not only justify us and save us, but you adopted us. And you brought us near. You brought us to be a part of your family, to be brought in to relational community with, with you and with one another. Oh, God, we praise you and thank you for that. You could have saved us and sent us on our way. 
Lord, we'd have been blessed. But even above and beyond that, you brought us near. We praise and you thank you. God, we ask you, give us grace, Lord. Help us so that we might walk in recognition of what you've done. Or may we live in such a way that our community will be visible and tangible and impacting. Certainly in the way that we live with one another as well as to those outside, to all who would see and who would know us. Oh, God, help us. Grant us to be such that as we think about our church name of Christ Community Church, may community be something that has a depth and a power that is undeniable. We praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.